BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Initiate. Broadcasting from the Rock and Roll Bomb Shelter. I'm ready. Surrounded by radioactive biscuits and the world-famous Rock Eyes. Located 40 feet beneath the radio station, it's the Big Fat American Rock Show. With your host, the Doc of Rock, the Professor, everyone's favorite mad music magician, Crazy Uncle, and your best friend in the whole wide world, Zach Martin. Today just happens to be, Don, the day that the music died. Yes, it is. I forgot when we scheduled this that that was the day. You know, I look on the calendar, oh, Wednesday's good, and I I totally uh, slipped my mind. It's so, growing. It's growing every year as a, as a national uh, event of some sort. I must say, and it's been totally natural. And the only thing that's really um, hyped it now has been this version of American Pie by these acapella singers, um, mm-hmm. Home Free. Uh, they've done a great job, and um, so that's getting uh, even more airplay and more attention to the song and to today, uh, February third. So. Wow, I'm so happy about all that. I love it. I love it when there's another version of something, you know, that's that's good also. I, You know, we'll get to that in a second. I just want to say right from the beginning, American Pie, song itself, is iconic. I, it's part of Americana. And I, I'll tell you, when I was in the United States Army serving as a tank officer, when we go to the bar, they'd have to play it. And then all my buddies would drink the whiskey and rye as as we'd sing along to Don McLean's American Pie. I would get letters from soldiers uh, telling me that they were that that song was important, and I would had the same thing happen in the Israeli army. Uh, all kinds of armies would sing that song, believe it or not, um, and the Israelis would sing Babylon. Um, so, <laughs> you know, the song and the album has contained many songs. Of course, none like American Pie, but. Uh, the full experience that I wanted the, the listener to enjoy has got to be by listening to the American Pie album from the first track to the last track, which is By the Waters of Babylon. Um, that's how you really get into what it is. It'll make the song even better if you do that. Let's go over American Pie, the history of it, because uh, you always reach a new generation, my daughter being one of them. When we drive around in a car, she'll always put on American Pie. It seems like it's a daily occurrence. And your song is played all over the world. Probably I, every station you can imagine is probably playing it one time or another. Well, like I the can't, Beatles, right? I have a Spotify and I get reports from them now. In this late stage of my life, for the first time, 
I mean, for the first time in 50 years, in the last two years, since we've created this YouTube channel, I'm working with Time Life, I'm working with Warner Brothers Records, I am behaving like a professional artist. <laughs> I am. I have people giving me reports about airplay and all this stuff. Um, and it's amazing. I'm more popular than I ever was in all the years before, right now. And it's the weirdest thing. And it's all because I've been home this year and because of the internet. And I get these reports on Spotify, 260 million downloads. Holy and, cow. Uh, you know, 92 <laughs> countries and... You know, that people spend, you know, I don't know, 226 million hours a year listening to this stuff. It's unbelievable. And that's just one streaming platform. Well, let's go back to um, February 3rd, 1959. And for you, I guess you, you'll never forget that day. So where were you? What was going on around you? Well, I've been talking about it a lot, you know, and I figured out I always thought I was 14, but I was actually 13. I figured that out today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All these years, I thought I was 14 then, but I wasn't because I wasn't going to be 14 until October of 59. So uh, I was 13. And, you know, we used to, there was a group. <clears throat> I love Buddy Holly. And there was a group in Nourishell called the Orchids. And they were a pretty damn good group. And they, they were a Buddy Holly type group, double guitars, front. They had a singer that was out front, bass, drums. And they would play like um, uh, mixers and stuff in at country clubs and all that. And I was at one of those once in the 50s, around 57, and actually saw how they played those guitar parts. It was a, a revelation for me because I just heard the records, you know. So they played It's So Easy. And I saw it. I saw it. I thought, whoa, you know. That's that's pretty tricky, you know. As Tommy also played that part actually uh, in the later um, version of the uh, Buddies group. Well, he didn't have the crickets after they left him. He just was on his own. But uh, also was oh, what a great producer and a great player that guy was. And he's on my records. He's on Crying. He's on the Chain Lightning. He's on Believers. He was a character, and uh, he would play tic tac bass. You have Bob Moore playing upright bass, and then he'd have a cat playing like a four-string or a five-string electric bass with a flat pick. So everything, you know, they'd have like a put a a real point on the on the bass, and uh, so that's used a lot on my recordings, and it was a very effective little tool. And that stuff, every these guys were always inventing things, you know. Um, they didn't care. Uh, they were looking for new sounds all the time. And uh, so that's when I first began to get the feel of what the crickets would have really sounded like by hearing this group, the Orchids. And it even made me more excited about playing guitar. And then I had a friend uh, who, his name is Brad Bivens, and his father was a a disc jockey on the Tommy Dorsey show, the TV <laughs> show. Yeah. This wow. guy was from the South and they were, he was, he was a character, this guy. And uh, he had a kinescope of Elvis. And in 1957, I was sitting in my friend's living room watching Elvis on a big screen. And you never saw that any place. So I got to actually experience Elvis Presley 
in a way that wasn't on a little tiny screen, but on a big screen from with the kinescope. And it was seeing Elvis play the guitar that made me think, you know, I mean, I was way too inhibited, you know, to do anything that Elvis was doing. I wasn't going to be shaking Stevens or something, you know, but I was definitely said, that's for me. If I can just learn to play, I can, I can entertain people. I can, you know, I can do this. So my friend was just learning guitar. So I'll show you in the basement. I have a guitar and he showed me an E chord and that was it. E, A, B, seventh. Once I learned those three chords, you know, I was gone off to the races. And it's the same way with my son. Uh, I taught my son guitar. He was uh, loving, uh, I think it was Meatloaf. He loved <laughs> Meatloaf. And I said, you know, you can play those songs. They're not that hard. And I got him a Meatloaf um, songbook with chord changes. And I said, here's E, A, and B, seventh. And this song has E, and B, and you know the song. So play the chords when you see it. He he's an amazing guitar player today. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, let's go over what led you to write American Pie. I, I know it was around 1971, from what I remember, but there's always been this legend of where you actually wrote it. And I've heard people argue about it on the radio. I've heard disc jockeys off the air argue the same. It was written in Cold Springs. It was written in La in Philadelphia. So where was the song written? How are you inspired, and who are the good old boys drinking whiskey and rum? It was written in Cold Spring and Philadelphia. Okay. And good old boys are just good old boys, you know? Everybody out there that doesn't give rat's ass who's president. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah, I get you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, that's cool. Um, so, But there had to be something... And I'm just really curious because sure, every, time you you. Listen, every time you listen to the song, you get something new out of it. And I've always wondered, like, what were you thinking? What happened? Well, what was... I what you know about that, people don't realize that. But if you like that song, you have some idea of how I think. And I think in a very random way. And I think all over the place. I don't really go in a straight line. And um, I'm philosophical in my thinking. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, uh, if I like you, um, I'm fun to have a conversation with. But if I don't like you, I'm not. Because I'll, you know, I'll, if, if you attack me or you question me or you do things, I'm going to ask you questions. You know, um, and that, you know, is how I learn things about people. See how they're going to react and whatnot. But in any case, um, I like the truth. I really do. And Socrates would ask questions to get to the truth about uh, obscure notions about, you know, what is honor? What is friendship? What is love? These kind of things. Um, this was, you know, way before Christ. Um, you know, you had Plato who had the world of forms way before you had heaven. So the Greek philosophers really were at the bottom of mathematics with their uh, with the sense of um, logic and mathematics if you think about it coming from philosophy has put a man on the moon so it's how you extrapolate knowledge uh, and the truth and so the truth is really important to me and i don't you know I, if i don't respect you i might not tell you the truth 
But if I like you, I'll always tell you the truth because, you know, why should you know the truth if I don't like you? Mm -hmm. You know, but if I like you, I love you, whatever, why you need to know the truth. So I like you. And um, I will say that I lived in this little cottage. It was a gatehouse owned by a man named James Benenson in Cold Spring, New York, which is a little hamlet on the Hudson and directly across from West Point, 50 miles north of New York City. That was where I lived after I left home and decided to get involved with the Hudson River Sloop. And in that house, I wrote probably some of the best songs I ever wrote because I was in a very creative environment around other songwriters, around Pete Seeger, who was a very interesting man and who was open to so many things. I mean, I would say so many rude (laughs) things. And he would laugh about it and, and ask me a question or argue with me in a nice way. And I loved it because that's what I would hope when I say something that's outrageous. Don't get mad. You know, tell me I'm wrong and and show me how I'm wrong. You know, that's what I like. Um, So that's the environment I was in. And it was wonderful. And so I was writing songs and uh, made my first album, Tapestry. And then that record company was on Meteorts. And then they were about to go out of business while I, I was in the middle of making the American Pie record for them. If they had stayed in business, they would have been able to make it because it would have had a massive hit because the cover was shot. The songs wow. were written. Yeah, it was all done. And they basically handed it over to United Artists, which was the the dingbat record label of the Western world. I mean, all they did was release... Um, soundtracks from albums you know they were awful it's the last place in the world i wanted to be but they had decided to transform the label into a meaningful label and they did Mm -hmm. and i should have stayed with them because later on they they did all these great larry butler songs uh rather uh kenny rogers hits and they sold millions of records of kenny rogers he was he was so successful it's hard to even imagine how many platinum albums this guy had and how much success. And he worked, 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 really, until he couldn't even talk anymore. He was a very hard worker and very smart. And Larry Butler was his producer. He produced me, and we had hits. Mm. Crying Since I Don't Have You, uh, Jerusalem, uh, the new version of Castles in the Air. I had, I had the right guy. And again, you know, I wanted to do something else so somewhere I should have stayed, you know, because Nashville has become home to me. Uh-huh. I think that you and I might be uh, somehow distantly related because you touched a few key points about philosophy and edification and having a dialogue in a proper sense and not thinking linear. Those are all great things. I can definitely relate. I know well, exactly. I want to know where I'm going to end up, you know, what's that? I don't want to know where things are going to end up. I want to be surprised. Yeah. I want to just in a songwriting, you know, I do that all the time. I start some idea comes to me, I can't believe it. I start fooling around with it. I let it go and I say, where's this going to end up? I keep going and it ends up. And I don't even know how it's going to end up. Isn't that yeah. funny? No, it's not. I I get I get what you mean. It's sort of like you have a palette of sound and you have all of these concepts and you really can't explain to people how you make the picture. It, it's just made. And there you go. Well, you know, I think that 
the songwriting and the great songs, and there are so many of them, um, now that we're in this dark age of very ugly, stupid music and um, all basically um, spectacle rock, it doesn't mean anything yeah. to anybody, uh, and politics, which doesn't mean anything to anybody, and political correctness, which is getting to the point of being uh, fascism, that these great songs starting from like, like let's say 1980 backwards, and I'm giving you a few years, yeah. um, they're going to be like the paintings of Van Gogh or, right. you know, they're going to be priceless. Uh, which leads me to Vincent. Uh, I, amongst other stations that I've been on in my career, at one point I'm on CBS FM in New York. And I just love the fact that I got to go CBS FM 101.1. Don McLean, Vincent, starry, starry night. You know, I just uh, love wow. to play that on the air, man. It's just like the coolest thing. Did CBS go to a talk format later? Or? Oh, no. They went to what they called Jack, where they had no disc jockeys. And then the people said, uh, hey, we don't want to listen to this crap. Put the disc jockeys back. And there we oh, are great. for a little while. But it's it's not the same station as it, it used to be. I was there when, you know, just at the end of Harry Harrison's career. And I'm, I was yes. friends with Dan Ingram and Harris. all those guys. Yes, Harry yes. Harrison, the morning mayor. Those um, guys were, those guys were artists. They really were. They, they knew how to create a picture with very few words. And but they uh, had, they had a certain magical color to their voice. Yes. Their yeah. voices were so colorful. Yep. If you go back and you look at the old movies um, and you see, uh, even the old Westerns that I love, you'll hear William Boyd or some of the character actors like Laugh McKee, who's an old man. He's in hundreds of old Westerns in the early 30s. Their voices are like a bomb going off. You know, um, yeah. show me show me what's that in, you know, down there, way down there. And they're not even trying. And it was the same thing with Dan Ingram. He had that low range, you know, and uh, oh, the man, man, it was the man. Dan Ingram could make me laugh no matter what the situation. We worked together off the air on various things and always had me. I couldn't drink anything. I would have to like wait till he's done talking to try to get some drinks in before it come out my nose with Dan Ingram. And the, and the pranks he would play on listeners, you know, Caramia by Jay and the Americans. Caramia, oh my. And when he goes, ah, oh, he would sit there with tape. And just elongate that long note so it was obnoxiously really long, <laughs> and it went on for like two minutes. Oh, that's funny! <laughs> he would do all kinds of sounds crazy like, stuff. Sounds like he has a little Ernie Kovacs in him there. Uh, probably. Now, um, the, the one thing uh, before we switch uh, the reins over to my daughter, who can't wait to ask ten questions of Dominic. Okay. Queen. And remember, she is the new generation. She's uh, going to be twenty-one later this year, and so she has her. I, I didn't tell her what questions to ask. So whatever she well, asks, it's from a young person. I'll be very nice. Yeah. Now, uh, we have a series called Designing for Music. I work with Judy Salovitz and Spencer Drayton, various other album designers. I have to say American Pie, the iconic with your thumb and the red, white, and blue is just something that always, every time I hear the song, I think of the album cover. Give us a little bit about who designed that, the story behind the album cover. That is designed by a man named George Whiteman. And I don't think George ever designed an album cover before or after. He lives in Mexico now. He's 80 years old, 85 probably. I hope he's still alive. I think he is. 
at the time I went there and I only visited him one time, I went to his studio and his home and out in front of the studio or uh, wherever it was, was this big um, Rolls Royce. <laughs> I mean, an antique, you know, a silver cloud, <laughs> one of those cars, it's just the apex of English car design and everything. There it was in various colors of silver and gray. And I'm aware of this stuff. So I go in there and he sits down and all of a sudden he was a, he was a hot fashion model photographer. Oh boy. You showed and up I'm, at the right time. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden this, this girl walks in, Oh, Georgie, you know, and she's, <laughs> you know, you can't believe what she looked like. And, and so he's always having these women all over the place. Love this guy, you know, anyway, he doesn't pay attention to her, you know, <laughs> so he comes he says, okay, I want you to, I'm going to, let me see your hand. He said, I'm going to paint your thumb. <laughs> so we go into his studio. He takes my hand and he paints the thumb. He puts a star on it. And he said, now I want to have you put your hand like that. I want to see how it is. Oh, I like that. He said, now I want you to get your guitar up here and, and put it down at the end. So it's, it's down at the end like that. Uh-huh. And there's the cover right there. I'm putting it on the screen because the guitar was right in here and I'm leaning on it and then I'm looking down and that's how he did it. Oh man, that is a great story. Thank you so much for spending time with me, Don McLean. Now we're going to move over to the next generation. One of your biggest fans of American pie. Here she I is. Little I love it. So what is the song American pie about and how did you come up with it? Well, American Pie is about a lot of things, and I came up with it. It it was it came up through the workings of my strange mind. My mind is full of uh, useless details and facts, and um, I wanted to write a song about America, and I wanted to write a song that um, was different from any song that ever had been written before, which is what I try to do with every song I ever write. I had no idea that the song would be successful uh, or that every everybody would know it or that anybody would know it. But um, I had a very good record producer who made a very good record. And we rehearsed for about three months. And I mean that we were, we worked so that I was working well with the band because I was not a band singer at that point. I am now, I have been for many, many years, but at that point, um, you know, I didn't take bands on the road or anything. And then we made this record and um, magic happened when uh, this guy named Paul Griffin, a piano player, came in the studio and suddenly uh, got this groove going, uh, this rock and roll groove on this piano. And man, we had this thing nailed. And so we made a hit record so without a hit record, you wouldn't be talking about the song. And it was very easy for us not to have made a hit record because for those three months, uh, nobody knew how to play that song, just from a musical point of view. Uh, as, par as, as far as what I was doing, I was trying to write an anthem that was different from any that had ever been before. And um, so I made it in a dream sequence 
imaginary things happening, but moving forward from innocence to uh, decadence and um, connecting politics with music, which is always the case, really, because the population elects the person that represents them, they feel, and the music is their expression of themselves. So you're always going to find that. So now, you know, in the old days, we had JFK and we had Bob Dylan, a literate, intelligent, uh, thoughtful individual and the same kind of president. Lastly, we had a man who believes in nothing and doesn't believe in anybody and is pointless and irrelevant. And you have pointless, irrelevant music to go with it. So I've had 50 years to see my 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 theory prove out. <laughs> what will be the latest album that you'll release? I'm going to release an album called American Boys. It's a song I wrote. It's a very obvious, fun song about American boys invented rock and roll. And I've never done a song like that, but my guitar player worked on this and I fixed finished it. So we've done it together. And then there'll be a dozen other songs and that's going to be the title of the album. It's going to come out this year. Are there any instruments that you've always wanted to play? No, I am a singer. Primarily. I'm in love with guitars. I love jazz guitar, flamenco guitar, folk guitar when it's played well. I have right in my room with me now seven guitars right on stands all around me here. Um, I'm a guitar player. I'm also a five-string banjo player. And I made my living from 1960 until 1985, I would say, with guitar and banjo. And when I became famous, I was a soloist. You can go on YouTube and see me at Royal Albert Hall sing with just guitar or get the audience singing on the song Babylon with the banjo. That's what I used to do. Did you have fun writing the song Vincent? Well, I don't think it was fun. Um, to be quite honest, I was just getting started. I was very tired. I'd worked very hard. I was in a bad marriage. And um, so that was causing me constant uh, annoyance. And so, no, I don't think I was having fun, but I was excited, you know, about finding this idea and, and creating the song. And I was looking for song ideas like crazy, you know, because uh, I had this second album. I'd already made the album Tapestry. And um, there are a lot of songs on there. And I Love You So, Castles in the Air. The song Tapestry is actually about the environment. It's the only song I sing about the environment that every thread of creation is held in position. You know, each thing is related to something else, which is the sad fact that we're finding out now as we have not taken care of things as we should have. But um, no, I wouldn't say I was had fun writing it, no. What inspired you to grow up to be a musician? Um, Elvis Presley. I wanted to play guitar and I wanted to, I wanted to 
I wanted to, when I saw him, I wanted to be a romantic figure. I didn't want to be a normal person. And there weren't a lot of options for me, you know, because I, the one thing that I could do is sing. But I never dreamed that I would be, a, you know, a good guitar player, a good performer, and a good songwriter. That developed later as I yearned to do more things. But it was guitar has always been something that, you know, I've learned how to use it uh, for what I want it for. But I don't really know how to play the guitar like, you know, a great guitar player would know. You know, know the, the fingerboard and all sorts of subtle chord changes. The real guitar players are guys that play in like the Basie band and, you know, where they play a different chord for every note of a song. Those are really guys really know the instrument uh, or the jazz players like uh, Wes Montgomery or Tal uh, Farlow or, and these, I love all those guys and I love a guitar played by really good people. You really don't see that today. You see, I mean, um, uh, Keith Richards is a great rock and roll guitar player and a great guitar player and a very wonderful, smart person who really says interesting things about, about it. And, but he's limited to what he does. And that's what me, I'm limited to what I do. Uh, and it is limited, but, um, you know, you, I, I love to look at someone like Carlos Montoya or Sabikas, these great flamenco guitarists. I mean, you can't imagine how anybody could play like this and make this kind of music out of this wonderful instrument. But the instrument, the guitar has really been my ticket, you know, to, to stardom, to the moon, really. Have you ever produced music videos? Yeah, I made one music video. And it was, I didn't produce it, but I, it was a song called Headroom. And you can see that on uh, a video, a DVD called American Troubadour. Uh, it's a really good song. I love the song. And they made a really good video. I love the video. Maybe you can find it on YouTube, Headroom, the video. What were some of your favorite people and projects to work with? Throughout my life. Um, well, I, she was, um, the Jordanaires were really wonderful to, I made two albums with them and I did four appearance, three appearances at Carnegie Hall with them. And we did a television special in the UK for the BBC called Don McLean and friends. I loved working with them. That was such an honor and a thrill, uh, working with Pete Seeger I, I produced to help produced an album of sea shanties for, for the Hudson river sloop. And I also helped to make a book of sea shanties, you know, with a, a man named Tom Allen, who was a great illustrator who did all the illustrations of flat and scruggs for Columbia records. And who was an, uh, one of my really good friends. And so we did that. Um, I liked, I don't know, there's been a bunch of things through the years. Um, making records with Joel Dorn, who was an, a genius and a, a great record producer, he produced over 200 jazz albums with the, the most amazing jazz heavyweights 
we made an album called Homeless Brother, which we both liked a lot. And, um, you know, and now I'm, I'm, I'm working with a bunch of people, you know, to do this um, documentary movie. And I'm working with Mike Sievers, a guitar player and producer in Nashville on the new album. We've also made another two albums before Botanical Gardens and Addicted to Black are both Mike Sievers and me uh, and him as producer. So those have been projects. I've loved working on them. And I know so many people in Nashville, you know, guitar players and background singers and uh, legal people are there. My lawyer has been there. He's been my lawyer for almost 40 years. So, um, yeah. Will you be doing concert tours anytime soon? Geez, I hope so, but I don't really know. It's not up to me. You know, countries are opening, countries are closing, you know. Um, it's just so random that I can't imagine. I suppose there'll come a point <clears throat> when somebody's got to put a stamp of approval on this and say, look, let's get out and go to work and forget it. You know what I mean? Wear your mask and take your chances. It's over, you know. What's your favorite genre of music? I have three favorites. Folk music, early rock and roll in the 1950s, and popular music, um, big band music, music like, you know, all the pop songs, Irving Berlin, Ira Gershwin, uh, Jerome Kern, you know, show tunes, beautiful music. I like beautiful things is what it comes down to. I like beautiful things. I don't like ugly things. And there's a lot of ugly music around now and a lot of ugly sentiment and thought and a lot of ugly, nasty people doing a lot of ugly things. And I don't like any of it. Are you still a big fan of Buddy Holly? Yes, I am as big a fan of Buddy Holly as I ever was. New HD is a unique media platform giving a means of expression to millions of individuals living on the autistic spectrum as well as other additional needs. Talent meets opportunity on New HD, where the neurodivergent community is given a voice in an environment adapted to their needs. For more information, follow us on Twitter at New HD Radio. Follow BFA on Facebook at Big Fat America. Zach Martin on Twitter at Zach Martin Rocks. And Zach Martin on Instagram. Wait, Zach is on Instagram? I can guarantee he has no clue how to use that. See all the interviews and videos at ZachMartinRocks.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.